Welcome to The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Becky Scherer. And I'm Michael Broadcorp. We simply could not sit quietly by and not address the current chaos going down in our nation's capital. So we are bringing you an extra special bonus episode to break down all things McCarthy outster and where we go from here. We are excited to be joined by good friend, political expert, and longtime chief of staff on the Hill, David Fitzsimmons. Both Michael and I have worked with David on and off over the last few years. I first worked with him on Tom Emmer's gubernatorial campaign back in 2010. He has since gone on to serve as chief of staff for Congressman Tom Emmer, campaign manager for Congressman Jim Hagedorn, then chief of staff for Congresswoman Michelle Fishbach, and currently leads the office for Congressman Brad Finstead. He is also a name you've heard us mention before. Because in addition to David understanding the inner workings of Capitol Hill, he also understands the politics of politics better than anyone I know. So today we are going to kick off our conversation with David by breaking down the recent action to take down Speaker Kevin McCarthy, how it happened, the procedure and rules that allowed this action, and how the Democrats joined the the flank uh, on the right to wreak havoc in the House of Representatives. We are then going to break down the path forward, contest for next speaker, and what this means for Minnesota's own Tom Emmer, who currently serves as Majority Whip, but may get a promotion. Thank you for joining us for this special episode, and we hope you enjoy the show. We are very excited to be joined by friend and guest David Fitzsimmons today. So, David, as you are well aware and your time spending in D.C. the past week, pretty eventful in Washington, D.C., started with Congressman Gates um, putting McCarthy on blast, saying that he was out of compliance with the agreement that was made when uh, Congressman Gates and others finally agreed to vote for McCarthy for speaker after 15 ballots. Um, recently, Gates stated that McCarthy has been in brazen, repeated material breach of that agreement. And on Monday, a motion to vacate the chair was introduced. Tuesday, that vote occurred. So you've been on the Hill for almost a decade now. Um, give us a little bit of background of how that vote came about and and the procedural. It, it's a relatively new thing here, right? Um, it's the motion to vacate isn't new. I they've there's been adaptations in what that takes. Um, so even back I when John Boehner was speaker, um, there was a move uh, to produce the requisite number of um, motion makers. I think it was 15 at the time um, to make a motion to vacate the chair uh, and, and get that passed. That was part of the atmosphere that ultimately led to I, you know, John Boehner deciding not to, uh, not to uh, continue in the speakership. Um, so that was kind of the last time that we had something uh, near to this. Um, but so the motion to vacate is is not new. It's it, it's been around. They did lower it to one person could make the motion. I don't think that ultimately is the biggest thing that happened though. And and getting back to like where does why why do we find ourselves here? Um, but really, the big difference, even from from that time with John Boehner and, and this time now, uh, is that the majority is is so much smaller. And so, um, you know, at at that time, uh, you know, you would have had to have, uh, you know, double digits of Republicans uh, joining all the Democrats to uh, to vote against the Speaker to vacate, um, like what happened here this week. In this case, it takes as little as five or six, um, depending on on kind of the attendance uh, level, and you're done. 
Um, so uh, that's really just sets up a very uh, a very volatile and dangerous just just situation. Um, and I think that's where if you take away the you know the personalities out of this, um, you really just end up in a in a dynamic that really uh, puts puts a lot of power in the in the hands of uh, a very few people because if they're willing uh, to side. Uh, with the other party, the Democrats in this case, um, that makes them pretty. It, it makes it pretty easy for their desired outcome to happen. Do you think it was surprising that all the Democrats did vote with you know that handful eight uh, Republicans on this to to vacate the chair, even with the understanding that with another speaker election, it's highly unlikely that a Democrat would be elected as speaker. It would be another Republican, and we'll get to it shortly, but potentially a further right Republican than Speaker McCarthy. Is it is it surprising that all of these Democrats did come out um, and, and link up with this? Uh, it wasn't surprising at all to me. It's surprising <laughs> to me that people were surprised um, because the Democrats got a great gift in this. I mean, from my, from my vantage point, and which should make people question then why a Republicans uh, at what point does it trigger any kind of question mark that there's eight out of 218 of your conference doing something and 100% of the opposition's conference uh, on the same page as you. Uh, I would think that'd be a little tripwire of thought of like, what are their motivations? I mean, when Matt Gates was speaking, the uh, you know Ilan Omar was uh, directly over his shoulder in the background, smiling and and nodding in approval. <laughs> so, uh, if if you think uh, you know as a conservative Republican, if you think Ilan Omar has the best interests, uh, you know, for conservative Republicanism, then um, I, I don't know I don't know where to go with that in your mentality. So, D David, from your perspective, the eight. Republicans that voted and with the Democrats on this, it is fair to say, and I want to get confirmation from you on this, that there are a number of principled conservatives who voted to keep McCarthy there. And so these eight, in some ways, are not taking a conservative position because there are conservatives, just from a numbers standpoint, as much as my late father, as much as I disagree with my late father that math was not a part of politics, it always is. And as much as I didn't want this interview to be about math, it is eight versus the 200 and roughly 210 on the other side. I think that there's a misconception in some ways in the media that these eight are the uber conservatives and that the the other 210 are somewhat moderate. And I think we need to dispel a little bit of that, correct, is that these eight were actually just engaging in for lack of a better phrase, maybe a little bit of political mischief rather than dying on some conservative principled hill. Correct. I, that, I mean, that's my take. I, I, I've been, you know, kind of trying to have this conversation for a long time. I think we really need to get away from uh, really making ideology, the big overlay on a lot of these things, because, because they aren't necessarily, it really, it, it comes more from a, a strategic uh, mindset of like what how do you define accomplishment and getting what you you know getting to from point a to point b on a on a linear path yeah there were there were 
again, if you're going to try to uh, paint this as the 210 members that didn't think this was a good idea, um, that voted against the motion to vacate, if you're going to paint that as they're all liberal Republicans or moderate Republicans, I mean, that's putting in Lauren Boebert, um, you know, uh, Chip Roy, Thomas Massey, Jim Jordan, Scott Perry, like, if they're all liberal Republicans, then I, I don't know what spectrum you're measuring from. I, I just don't see how you break it down into an ideological um, thing. I really think it becomes like having any level of realistic uh, strategy. And look, one of the members of the aid, even though they're being touted by maybe some of the some of the hard, uh, you know, conservative elements of being the conservative heroes. In most of her messaging, she really kind of said that McCarthy wasn't doing enough moderate things. So this really was, you know, kind of people that that had uh, personal beef and decided to use the fact uh, that they could take it out on uh, Speaker McCarthy uh, with a really small number of Republicans. Um, I want to hit a little bit on the actual kind of what was the catalyst to all of this? Now, there's a litany of things that Gates claims um, were were things of of McCarthy not upholding his agreement that was made in January. Um, but we're in, you know, nearing government shutdown. I, I worked on the Hill for three years. Dave, you've been there longer. Um, the goal is always to do individual appropriations bills. Typically, that doesn't end up happening. We get a master omnibus bill and a, a continuing resolution that is required to to get us to where we need to go. Um, that seems to be kind of the tipping point here, right, for Gates to do that. Can you walk us through just a little bit of the inside scoop of, like, historically or even in the last, you know, five, ten years? Um, this isn't uncommon, correct? No, and and – and that's where actually some of the great irony to me resides, because as we were coming, as we were coming up to uh, the September 30th uh, fiscal year uh, funding deadline, uh, we were passing appropriations uh, bills. Um, in fact, this week we had on the docket to pass two more that would have got us to six of the 12 already and the intention would have been to do the other half in the next couple of weeks uh, that we were in session. Um, we even uh, canceled a uh, uh, district work period week uh, to do to do more of it faster now. So that what what is purported by the you know Mac Gates and some of the eight that they wanted appropriations bills, uh, they actually halted right now and and is going to delay for I don't know how long. I mean, we're we're going to start presumably a, a a conference decision on who we're going to support a speaker on Wednesday. I uh, I mean, even if all goes perfectly, we maybe have a speaker by Wednesday or Thursday. Um, you know, so we're out we're out a week and a half. Uh, no matter which way uh, you slice it, it also goes back to uh, two weeks ago before the continuing resolution was. Uh, kind of became the only only other option other than other than shutdown or taking uh, getting in jail by a Senate bill. Um, there were 21 Republicans that voted against what is what would arguably be the most conservative CR that would have ever ha passed the House of Representatives. It had an eight percent uh, general uh, cut uh, to federal spending. 
It had border provisions. It had what's become a very hot button. Uh, Ukraine had had completely no uh, money for the uh, the Ukraine conflict. Um, it was kind of a conservative wish list. And again, 21 members voted against that, which ultimately led to, uh, you know, having no other option uh, really than the, than the continuing resolution that happened that then they got upset about. So, uh, you know, really it just becomes, that's where I think you really got to sell, separate this from, you know, between ideology and really just either inability to understand how you can get from a point A to point B and deal with reality on how you accomplish things, or you understand it and you're simply using things for your own, you know, kind of personal celebrity, personal fundraising, things of that nature. I mean, he's Gates is certainly getting the attention. I think that he strives for. I've seen, you know, the the scrums, the press scrums, and and you know the front page. You know, his face is plastered everywhere. Um, I did want to read just real quick. So Ben Shapiro isn't somebody I normally align myself or, or like to share his tweets, but um, he had a tweet this morning or, or late last night that said. I'm sorry that some politicians keep promising you that they can magically pass all of your priorities despite a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president brought by many of those brought about by many of those same politicians. They are lying. Getting rid of McCarthy will not change that fact. And I think that's really, you know, exactly what you said. It's just the the ideology side of things is just, yes, we all want to get everything done we need to do. But the moment you get to whether this it's at the state capitol or the national or the Washington, D.C. capitol. It's just not not that way. We have to remember here, there's a Republican majority in the House. The other two are led by Democrats. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that's where you get to back to, again, what are, what's really the geno, genesis of some of the problems and the complaints. Uh, you know, obviously, it's the fact that we have a slim uh, majority in the House. It's also a fact that we don't have the Senate. I mean, it was it was the fact that we lost races we should have won in Arizona and Georgia in the Senate. Um, you know, that that really got us to the place we are where uh, really what we can do, what the House can do and what I think the governing 210 majority understand is be able to go to the negotiating table with a strong position uh, with with House pass priorities and be able to negotiate from there. And, you know, that that's what we've seen in the past play out. Uh, that's how things work. Um, and I think this latest actions um, of this week, you know, damage that. They damage it from a timeline. They damage it from a unity standpoint. Uh, they damage it from uh, just the aspects of getting a, a chief negotiating team uh, up and running. Again, we're going to, we're going to be dealing now with with really weeks of of reshuffling and reorganization. I mean, they even the first step of electing a speaker, uh, you know, can result in a chain reaction. Then I know we, you know, it's it's been out there. Um, uh, if Scalise uh, does become the speaker, uh, you know, uh, current majority leader Scalise, then Whip Emmer has talked about going for. Uh, said he's his intention is going for majority leader. If that happens, then that's a completely separate election after the speaker's thing is done. Then that has to happen. If that vacates the whip, then that's a completely separate election. I mean, we may be two weeks out from having 
a leadership even back team even back in place and that's even just getting elected that's not you know setting up operations and and getting your foot feet settled in the job david when so, when we first met i had hair you had little or no gray hair now i have no hair and uh you have a little bit of gray hair but to just put in the time frame a little bit on this you're saying next wednesday before there's a, a potentially best case scenario there's a speaker in, in and so my groundwork, the, what I'm leading into this question is you and I have known each other for a long period of time. And the question I have for you is based on your experience, how does a Republican succeed in this environment in Washington? Because as I know, in our work experience, you've always been a good coalitions builder. You've always, you've been so integral in getting Republicans endorsed, playing an integral role in building coalitions, helping candidates get endorsed, working across the internal divisions in a party process. And so we're talking with someone here today who's got such a rich experience in successful coalition building. And so what I'd like to ask you then is, how does a Republican succeed in this environment? If we get to a situation next week where we have a speaker that's elected next Wednesday, how are they able to succeed? What is going to change in this environment so the Republicans, can, whoever is elected speaker, can succeed? Yeah, I, I mean, I think one thing it comes from is I, I think I think one of the mistakes we've made, uh, you know, in our country and society is really kind of painting this picture that elected officials are driving the national mindset. And I don't think that's always the case. They, they're, they're part of it, but they're also a reflection of it and and, and feeding off it. And I think in a lot of ways, what I've seen that is the American public then is able to sort of get out of their responsibility for for you know what what they see because then they're like, well, the you know our elected officials have problems, they're dysfunctional, they're crazy, they're uh, they're radical, they're this, they're that. Um, when in a lot of ways they're being pushed uh, by the factors of the American public and. And that's where I do think some of this comes from, uh, you know, really, again, now this is kind of our Republican side, but on the Republican side, uh, you know, the Republican electorate thinking a little more of like, how does this actually work? What is realistic? How do we how do we actually make gains uh, in, in a thoughtful way instead of just, you know, sound bites and elevating the next you know, bomb thrower that that really just causes more division, more chaos, and and less productivity. So, I, I think it, I you know, in some ways, I, I kind of put it back as as us as individuals, we have to make our voice heard. That we understand that, like we get that, um, and that's what the elected officials need to hear. Because the more you make it uh, appealing uh, to follow the path of Matt Gates, the more Matt Gates is you're going to get, and I, I, I just don't believe that is a, uh, a productive way for our party to succeed. So we talk a lot about uh, messaging of both Republicans and, and kind of what's going to be targeted at Republicans. Um, in my experience, a lot of times, you know, we try to frame up Democrats as, you know, the Il Ilhan Omar is tied to all Democrats. Keith Ellison is tied to all Democrats. 
Do you think that's going to be a strategy of Democrats going forward that look at this Republicans in disarray, you know, Matt Gates, you know, they they don't want to lead. They just want to pontificate. They just want to do this. Do you think that's going to be a strategy of Democrats as we head into 2024? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, that's never been a one-sided thing. I mean, I think right. both parties have always, uh, you know, tried to tried to make, you know, guilt by association a big part of, of how they run um, against people, especially especially oftentimes you're, you know, in the districts that you're you're running in, those aren't the members who are who are necessarily the most problematic. So you have to link them to other members who who are problematic or other or other people in um, that party's uh, circle. Uh, but, you know, this becomes and again, it, it is difficult and they will they will pin it on all of us. So even though only eight out of 218 House Republicans created this chaos we're dealing with, all 218 uh, have to deal with its with its impact and have to somehow be able to to answer and 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 how do you answer when someone else does something? How are you supposed to answer why why they did it, David? From a messaging standpoint, can anybody credibly make the claim that the removal of McCarthy was good for Republicans in twenty twenty four? Well, again, I would go back to to make that argument. You would have to say that Ilan Omar and AOC and Hakeem Jeffries willingly went along with something that would be good for Republicans in 2024. Um, I find that a difficult argument to make. I I welcome listening to anybody who makes that argument. No, I just, I think that you just answered the question better than I could. And I'm going to probably have that clip on repeat in case anyone (laughs) else brings it up, because I think you've very succinctly answered a question that has troubled a number of people since this happened. And having you as a subject matter expert answering it is good enough for me. Yeah. So I do want to, we, we've touched briefly on what's next. So let's break it down a little bit further, focusing just on speaker, um, next speaker. So current majority leader, Steve Scalise has thrown his hat in the ring. Um, current chair of judiciary committee, former chair of the Republican study committee, Jim, uh, Jim Jordan has thrown his hat in the ring. Um, have you any inside scoop of how the, you know, the conference is breaking up here? Um, you know, Jim Jordan is somebody that I think is is a little bit further right uh, than maybe Scalise. He says he has talked to President Trump about this, not as much that he's gotten an endorsement. Um, he's also said he disagrees with Gates, but um, is not willing to, it has no plans to oust him from the Republican conference. What's the inside scoop? Well, I, I, obviously, I think it's important to remember um, how fresh all of this is. I mean, we're I, uh, you know, 48 hours ago, uh, none of this was was happening. Um, and that's so that's unusual in and of itself being, you know, kind of pushed on a on a very unexpected uh, course in decision making. And so, uh, you know, in my in my conversations, uh, you know, over the last 48 hours with, uh, with, you know, with members and staff, I mean, I think there's there's still kind of a, a big fog of war uh, going on, uh, you know, really just a lot of emotion and feeling and, and uh, you know, confusion about about what happened, where we are, uh, where you go from here. I think going back to some of what Michael, uh, you know, said, though, is I, honestly, I, 
I don't know how much, um, you know, the, the who ultimately, you know, dictates what happens. It's really kind of, uh, you know, is there, is there an ability and let's set possibly Matt Gates as one individual side, is there ability of the other 217 members, you know, to really get on the same page on something from, from a strategic standpoint and, and, and kind of a social compact and agreement uh, to, to stick to that because, Again, really, what you're what you're doing in this case, where you're trying to pass things from the house, is you're setting up your negotiating team by saying, "We have your back. Uh, go get the best that you can." Um, and that has to be kind of a collective will from the from the conference. And I expect that they'll have to really have those, uh, you know, frank conversations with each other uh, over the next few days and and into next week as they get together. Um, another thing then that you just have to remember for a step. It, so most of the positions that each conference um, elects, their majority leader, minority leader, majority whip, minority whip, the NRCC chair, the DCCC, the conference chairs of both sides, those are strictly just a majority vote within each conference. The speaker vote is a little different animal. Um, and this is the same on the on the state side as well. You essentially in your conference, you have that same um, you see, you have that same dynamic, but you're essentially in bringing it back to like a Minnesota, uh, uh, you know, in, internal uh, party kind of equation. You're essentially endorsing your speaker candidate. They still then have to go to the floor and get a majority of votes to 18 or, or whatever is the majority of the day. Um, and so the conference will select who they want. Uh, but then as we remember in January, the conference did that. They selected uh, Kevin McCarthy. He still had a lot, had to do a lot of work then uh, leading up to that. And obviously during the uh, uh, number of days uh, that it took uh, to, to secure those votes and so that's why it, it it's a it's a little more complex than that. The conference will, you know, it, like I said, in essence, endorse their speaker candidate. Uh, that candidate then has to go with maybe every they have to go uh, around to maybe everybody who wasn't with them in that meeting and and make sure they get them on board. Because as we see, there's there's very small margin of error. Again, it, you know, five or six is about the most you can afford. Uh, to not have with you once that floor vote comes. David, conservatives have a natural distrust of government. Republicans do have a natural distrust of government. And so sometimes when I think that there's chaos going on, it sometimes plays to our activist base. And is it possible in today's party for there to not be a market for this chaos? How do we have Republican activists and people start understanding it's important that they govern responsibly? And when we have this type of chaos, shutdowns, and other types of disruptions, it doesn't work good for the brand. Yeah, and I think ultimately it's it, it's it's not productive to the outcome. Uh, you know, again, I I don't I don't know where someone draws the line and and says that tra the trajectory we're currently on, uh, you know, to be able to make. Uh, some progress and get a and get a better outcome in November when we have to do uh, the next government funding is somehow aided by the current activity 
Um, I, I don't believe it is. I think we were we were set up to to have all of our appropriations uh, bills done from the House, be able to have our speaker go in to that negotiating table and and get real, true, substantive uh, conservative wins. Again, back to, I mean, thing, issues like the border. I mean, I, you know, it, very, very, in my mind, uh, teed up messaging to get the American public on your side that that there's problems there and we need to fix them. And so that would have been one of our big negotiating points, um, you know, going into this next round, if the Republican conference was all behind that person. Uh, none of what I see now is going to get us closer to solutions on the border, to solutions on uh, long-term uh, government spending. Uh, it, nothing's nothing's accomplished when the government is is shut down or or non-functioning as it was threatened to do, as we're in now, as others will advocate uh, for in the future. It's ultimately just more expensive to get out of, um, and and we lose we lose time and we lose ground. All right. One last question for you, David. So um, we we started a, a pick'ems league here. Um, we choose our our teams every week. So are some you, of us choose their teams? Well, I week. yes, I I failed last week. But if heading into next week, are you team? Yes, we're going to have a new speaker next week, or no, it's going to take longer. I I would be on team. We're going to have a new speaker. Um, next week um appreciate yes. the optimism yes <laughs> <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for your time i think it's really great to get some inside scoop you're still doing the lord's work working out there in capitol hill um and uh we appreciate all your you're doing for our minnesota delegation thank you well i'm 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 blessed uh you know i was able uh with uh uh the the night uh, last night to be able to take my nephew to the Twins game and uh, see them win a series uh, for the first time in what twenty one years. So I uh, that was that was excited to get a uh, see the next generation of Minnesota Twins fans there and uh, exciting for the town. Awesome. David, you are David, you are a tremendous resource, and I hope you'll consider coming back both as to offer analysis, but offer this inside perspective. Uh, Becky and I couldn't think of anyone better at this level to have on and it's just we're so appreciative of your your time today to talk to us and i do hope you'll consider coming back absolutely thank you guys Hi. well i am big fan of david fitzsimmons i think he's one of the best uh political operatives political minds that minnesota has to offer um and so it's always interesting to get his insight on things um i you know, it's just it, it's just wild to see this come down. We watched the chaos around Gates uh, back in January when it went 15 ballots because of him. Um, and now this. I am interested to watch a few things come down. Um, I'm interested to see if there's a push to change this new rule um, to that just one person is re or only one person is needed to make this motion. I believe, as David mentioned, I think it used to be 15 folks are needed to to make this motion to vacate the chair and defeat the speaker. Um, I'm interested to see if that changes. I'm interested to see how the speaker showdown goes. Um, I'm also, you know, obviously have a vested interest in in the Emmer side of things. Um, if for those who might not be aware, 
before this vote actually happened, um, Emmer was somebody that Gates and others that were on the side to to oust uh, McCarthy. Emmer was one that they actually kind of wanted to take that that speakership role. Um, there was a quote I saw that in June, Matt Gates said that Emmer has that Midwestern crankiness that's so endearing um, and explained that he Emmer is a truth teller. Even when we don't like what he has to say, we know he's being honest with us. And I think that was really telling and exactly what I know of Tom Emmer um, is that, you know, if you remember back in January, Emmer was sitting there with Gates ballot after ballot after ballot. And so um, I did find that appreciate, you know, I appreciated that. He, Gates still has a positive view of Emmer, even though Emmer was kind of, you know, the arm twister, um, so to speak, for that. So very interested to see. It looks like at, at this point, I believe he's kind of the only one if 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 Scalise goes into speaker that has been named as somebody looking at the majority leader role. So will be interesting to watch. What's your take? It was great to talk to David. He has a foot in both the activist camp and in the prof- the legislative side camp, very much like you have had a foot in both of those camps. Why I wanted to do this episode so much was because of your experience out in Washington and getting someone like David to come in. It really gives our listeners a good appreciation as to what's going on and offers a really good perspective. So I thought it was a great answer he gave about the activist kind of understanding as to whether this is good for the party operation. I think he laid it out in a very succinct way, which is remember Ilhan Omar and a number of congressional Democrats, the vast, all of the congressional Democrats were voting to, for this resolution to vacate the speakership. So if they were voting for it, we have to logically understand that it's not good for Republicans that that was being done. I agree with David and I do not see a scenario by which this is going to be ultimately beneficial to Republicans retaining the majority in 2024. To your statement about Emmer, he is, he'd be a great person to be majority leader. He'd be a great person to be speaker. I have complete faith that he would do a wonderful job in both of those positions. The only danger that I see, the only problem that I see is that is it an environment for Republicans to succeed right now? As someone who wants Congressman Emmer to succeed, I hope that this is an environment right now for congressional Republicans to succeed. And I think they need some time. I know there's been some criticism, particularly from Congressman Gates, that they're not currently voting right now and they're not doing some work. I do agree that there needs to be a cooling off period before they come back because I think emotions are very raw and tensions are very high. I do want to ask you one question that I want to answer too is, if you were a member of Congress, would you be supportive of getting rid of Matt Gates out of the conference? You know, I am a little torn on that. I think it does set a dangerous precedence. You know, I do, we talked about this a little bit with Ilhan Omar being booted from her committees after anti-Semitism statements. Um, I think there are different things, n- different things necessary to, uh, there are consequences for actions, right? I think that this is is truly showing that Matt Gates is not an active, willing participant in the Republican conference under Leader McCarthy. Does that mean that he's not willing to be an active participant in the Republican conference under another speaker? Yet to be determined. Um, I think it sets a, a dangerous precedence that anybody kind of re- uh, being against leadership um, doesn't have a voice, doesn't have a say, which I don't necessarily love. That said, you basically just voted to fire your coach. Should you still be able to be on the team? 
I don't know. So I, I don't have a good answer for you right now on that. I can very much see both sides. What are um, your thoughts? I would not remove him from the caucus because it seems that he wants to be the victim. He wants to be the martyr. I think the best thing you could do with Matt Gates is to keep him in the caucus and have him have zero relevancy. The more you push him out there to be a martyr, the more you kick him out, the more you ostracize him, that's only going to build his more of his personal brand up. We need to stop giving attention to the squeaky wheels all the time. I will also say to you is, is that to your point about process, which was good, I'm unaware of any rule that Matt Gates violated. It seems that everything that he did in getting Speaker McCarthy out was done via the rule process that exists. Now, it's unseemly from a partisan perspective that he joined forces with the Democrats to do it, but no one's presented me in this scenario with any information, any ethical violations or any rule violations that would trigger him to be booted from the caucus. Sure, he's not a team player. That is a different calculation. And if we're booting people out of the Republican caucus simply because they don't play well in the sandbox with others, there are not going to be a lot of people in the sandbox. <laughs> I think the best thing, because what's what members have brought up about Representative Gates is that he's been fundraising off every time, every process that happens. I think what Republicans need to do is they need to put Representative Gates in the corner, leave him alone for a while, and stop giving us him as much attention. And because that's where he's getting his strength right now. And so I wouldn't boot him from the caucus. I'd put him in the corner and I'd move on to more responsible members because it seems that he's done a lot of damage to himself in the last week or in the last couple of days, I should say, based on his behavior and continually making him a martyr is only going to benefit him. I, you know, that that's a really good point. Um, and, and I think, as you said, he didn't break any rules. And in, in fact, you know, his, his argument, while I don't agree with his stance on a lot of the things, he supposedly has a written agreement, um, that was provided and, and thought out, uh, to for McCarthy to gain his vote for speaker back in January. Some of the things that he has accused McCarthy of either neglecting to work on or working with Democrats on are lifting the debt ceiling, no votes on the balanced budget, no votes on term limits, which, again, all of these were apparently demanded in that January speaker agreement. Um, he says there's no been a no accountability for the, quote, Biden crime family and supposedly the secret deal on Ukraine funding. So while I don't necessarily agree with his way of of governing or agree with his legislating in or policy stances in some of these things, I guess it is kind of valid if he had an agreement and the speaker has reneged on those on on that agreement or hasn't followed through that he basically, as I was reading, said September 12th that in conference, um Gates said he was going to bring this up. And on September 14th, McCarthy basically said, bring it. And um he brought it unsuccessful for McCarthy, but you're right. He didn't violate any rules. He it's unbecoming, I would say of, of Congress. Um, but it's, it's been, it's happened before. Um, I think the one thing that is, is going to be a little bit different than what we've seen, you know, as uh, David brought up John Boehner and, and kind of that situation is Boehner did decide to step down and resign. Um, McCarthy has said at this point, he has no plans on resigning. He is, is looking to continue on whether he runs for reelection. I don't know that that's been determined, but, um, We'll see. I there's a difference between me saying Matt Gates should be kicked out of the caucus and me saying 
that Matt Gates should not have his, the attention. I don't agree with what Matt Gates did, what Congressman Gates did here. I, I think it was driven a lot by personalities. Mm -hmm. And just because it's driven by personalities doesn't mean there's not merit to some of the issues. It's pretty clear based that there's been some clear personal issues between him and former Speaker McCarthy. There does seem to be a lot of I think evidence and information to support that there may have been some substantive disagreements, some truth, some issues that Re Representative Gates was promised that Speaker McCarthy did not follow through on. I do not agree with the strategy that he's used. I don't agree with the actions that he's taken. I don't identify with his politics. I just want him to have less relevancy and I want him to go away. And so I just think giving him more attention, propping him up to be a martyr is exactly what he wants. He's only going to raise more money. It's only going to increase his media appearances. It's only going to increase his relevancy with that kind of MAGA cult. And we need to stop doing that. And so I think the best thing that could happen is Matt Gates just go away. Put him in a corner. I love it. As someone who spent a lot of time in a corner, that's what Matt Gates needs right now. <laughs> I can speak from experience. Becky, thank you so much for doing this special bonus episode. Anytime. It was, uh, David's one of my favorite people. And so any chance I get to speak to him and you, of course, is a good day in my book. Sounds good. Thanks again. Bye. We want to thank you for listening to this bonus episode of The Breakdown with Broadcom and Becky. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on our website at bbbreakpod.com. The Breakdown with Broadcom Rebecca will return this week with a new episode. Thank you again for joining us.